All right. Well, we get now to take the time to have a look at uh, the book of James. And before I start, uh, I'm curious as to what you've been learning from James so far. All right. So, all right, here we go. Microphone out. All right. Can you hear me nicely? Out. This way. All right, here we go. Thanks, Warren. Thank you. Can you hear me? All right. Here we go. Good. All right. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. I appreciate the help, Warren. All right. So we're up to James chapter 4, uh, the end, end of James 4. I understand that you've actually been really enjoying looking at James and what he has to say to us as the people of God and as a church. What has been some of the highlights or some of the things that have stood out to you or things that are resonating? They could be words, they could be themes, they could be Bible verses, and I'm curious as to what they might be. So this is a chance for you to open your Bibles now if you don't already have them open and just flick back over the last few verses from the book of James. All right, if you've got something, then I'd love to hear from you. Anything that uh, has stood out to you? All right, the tongue, excellent. Thank you. Could you say your name? No. <laughs> um, all right, the person with no name, thank you so much for sharing. The tongue, uh, it is definitely something. And, and I think James has a bit to say about the way we speak, right? And uh, how we interact with others, that uh, it, it matters and it impacts others. Excellent, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Favoritism. What was your name? Uh, Jeremy. Jeremy. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, spot on, Jeremy. There's there's this continued theme throughout James. We're going to look at it today as well about the 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 um, the idea that the rich have got it made. Uh, the envying the status of the rich. Uh, that there's this hunger to want to be like them because. They've, they've, they've got it, and, uh, and James has a bit to say about that. So again, look at that again today. Maybe one more? Anything else? Yep. Oh, two more. Let's go here first. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. So, yeah, not just merely believing, but then putting that into practice. Yeah. And today, we're going to be challenged that we don't just uh, hear the word, but uh, we actually then need to go and put it into practice and don't just forget about it after we've looked at it in the mirror. Uh, yep. One more in your name. Sorry. Jen, and that was... Vicky, was it? Thank you. Uh, yeah. So James, James is a classic book that often people will go to to, to, to point out. Actually, the, the vulnerable and the outcasts and the needy are the ones that we are, uh, as the people of God, meant to care for, uh, reach, out to, reach out to and, um, and care for them. So some great themes, right? Um, some really, really helpful things. And they're continued in today's passage. Today we're going to be challenged, and uh, again, you could be you could be in bed this morning, but this is the this is where God wants you, and God's got a word to speak to both me and to you as we examine those passages. So, if you do have James four open in front of you, um, then you'll be able to follow that along. Um, we're going to have our hearts examined a little bit 
Uh, two weeks ago, I, I had to go to the cardiologist because I've got a genetic um, slight heart issue, and he examined all sorts of things about my heart, but um, that wasn't spiritual examination. Today, we're going to have our hearts examined spiritually, and there's some hard-hitting words for us. And uh, if you're visiting this morning, um, I'm, I'm encouraged that this is a church uh, that does not just look at um, pat- patches of scripture that you just want to look at, but uh, it allows it to hit us hard as you work through an entire book of the book of James. So with that in mind, because this is a spiritual exercise, right, I reckon it would be important for us to pray as God speaks to us through his word. So let's, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the faithful saints here at St. Nick's who have been working through the book of James for what you've already taught many of them. Uh, but Lord, we know that you have a new word or a, um, a reinforced word to show us uh, again this morning. And so, Lord, we ask that our hearts would indeed be humbled, uh, that they would be softened, and that we would be receptive, and that we would know how to put into practice what it is that you are teaching us this morning. Uh, so we pray that you would speak to us uh, through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's have a look at James chapter 4, and particularly starting at verse 13. So please do follow me uh, in your Bibles, or it might even come up on the screen. James, he wants you to listen. So there's these, there's these uh, statements in verse 13 and also verse 1 of chapter 5. Now listen, or pay attention. And then in verse 4, he says, look. So wake up, have a listen. Uh, and particularly, he speaks to a group of people who say this, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city spend a year there and carry on business and make some money. He wants these people to pay attention and listen. What are these people doing? Well, they're planning ahead. Uh, They think, oh well, um, today or tomorrow we're actually going to go over to that city, Um, we're going to set up our business there and we're going to make some money. Uh, there's forethought, there's planning, there's thinking, there's, there's, there's good management of resources by the looks of things. But James sees that there's a problem with uh, these people. Uh, There's something going on with their attitudes. Uh, This isn't slamming the idea of planning and and using your resources wisely. But he, he goes on and he says in verse 14, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. These people have got things, uh, in theory, worked out as to what they want to do, but they're missing the fact that actually there's a perspective that they need to have on life. Uh, there is more going on in life. They, they don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And most of us, uh, we, we do think that we, we know what the weather's going to be like as we look at the, the weather forecast, but even the weatherman, he doesn't really know what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. Well, we don't know, do we? exactly how things are going to go. This is a perspective of someone who's, who's uh, autonomously and independently saying, I'm in control. I can do things my way. And notice who's missing from this picture. Well, God himself. Uh, where is God? Well, God doesn't factor in. Uh, this person has said that uh, I'm boss. Uh, I'm on the throne of my heart and I rule my life and my world. I mean, you don't have to live for very long to figure out uh, we don't control the world we live in, do we? We're deluded in thinking that we can, 
And we hunger to do that. We, we're constantly uh, clasping and grasping for control of our lives. But James reminds us that we are not in control. Really, at the heart of this is the idea of pride, isn't it? Uh, pride here is that uh, I'm boss. I don't need God. I can uh, be the master of my own destiny. And I think this is sometimes uh, the delusion of the wealthy and the rich and those who are materially secure. No, that's, that's many of us. In fact, we're, we're the richest people on the planet if we have running water, particularly running hot water or electricity, uh, that we have our stomach. Anyone got their stomachs full? We, we, we do, don't we? we? We are very well off. And yet there's the danger of, uh, of the delusion that we are in control. See, sometimes pride is visible in the words we speak. We can, we can be arrogant or we can be boastful. In fact, in verse 16, James points out that these people do boast. Uh, they're boasting um, maybe in their riches, but they're boasting in their schemes. But pride can be deceptive as well, can't it? It can be hidden behind the scenes. Uh, we can look humble on the outside but actually internally we're really proud of our humility and in fact we're not proud and not humble at all here james cuts to the heart and it's an attitude of someone who thinks they don't need god and they can take the place of god uh, the theologian and and preacher john stott we'll see if we can get his uh, quote up on the screen uh, he made this statement in regards to sin for right really at the heart of Sin is pride. Uh, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. See, man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be, whereas God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. This here is the nature of the gospel where man has put himself on the throne, says, I am boss, so God then uh, substitutes himself for man, taking the, the punishment that we would deserve. It's, it's great that I think the word sin has the letter I in the English language right in the middle, because sin itself uh, and our proud hearts is a demonstration that I am boss. Adam and Eve, they said, it's my way, not God's way. So right at the core of sin is this proud, self, uh, this independent, autonomous attitude. James highlights this, and then he says, actually, there's another way. Uh, there's a different way that we should be behaving instead. So follow me in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. James has highlighted the fact that actually life, well, life's fragile. You, you don't know what's going on. It can vanish in an instant. And because of that, you need to say humbly, Lord, if it's your will, I trust you, I depend on you, I put you on the throne of my heart. You're the one who should be, uh, who is rightfully in control. This is humility, isn't it? In the place of proud arrogance and autonomy comes the attitude that James highlights of humility, gospel humility. 
where it says, God, I want you to be boss. And it's not, this, it's not a fatalistic idea of, okay, I'm just, uh, whatever happens, happens. Um, I just give myself over to fate. No, it's entrusting ourselves into the hands of a compassionate, loving, and good God, isn't it? It's not a fearful uh, action where we, we say, okay, I, just, I, I don't know what's going on, and I just uh, hope for the best. No, we can confidently say, Lord, your will be done. Lord, I trust you. And as we, we do this, we, we bow the knee of our heart, don't we? Uh, it takes the willful choice of saying, Lord, I want you to be boss. In verse 7 of chapter 4, there's the statement of submitting ourselves to, to the Lord and to humble ourselves before him. Now, ultimately, we can't do this on our own. We need God's spirit. <laughs> for me to say, hey, Lord, uh, um, I need to be humble, is to say, Lord, I need your spirit to humble me. Once again, uh, that's a, a prayer that we, uh, we need to be careful to pray. The inmates that I deal with, uh, they are forced into humility. Often, uh, everything is stripped away from them. Uh, they are in a situation where uh, they are brought to their knees and they're broken. And actually, that's that's, that's a great opportunity for God then uh, to step in and say, actually, uh, I'm the one that can give you hope. But we don't need to go to prison to be humbled. God can humble us right now and we can willingly say, Lord, may your spirit humble me and may, I, uh, may you give me the strength to turn to you. Sometimes humility can be thought of as just thinking poorly of ourselves. Uh, saying, I'm pathetic, I'm useless, I'm not that great, talking ourselves down. But actually that can be a, a sort of a reverse pride where we're still navel-gazing, where we're still fixated on self. A better idea is what C.S. Lewis, and we'll put on this quote, states in the regards to humility. You might have heard this quote before, where he says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking about yourself less. Is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. Uh, Tim Keller helpfully builds on this idea in this, this great little booklet, which I, which I highly recommend, called The, the Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Uh, if you can get your hands on this, it's a terrific book to read for yourself and maybe pass it on to someone else. And he builds on C.S. Lewis's idea of humility uh, in the next slide and says, the thing that we would remember from meeting a truly gospel-humbled person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself, it's thinking of myself less. The idea here is that if, some, if someone is gripped by the gospel, they would realise that actually I'm no better uh, or no worse than those around me. And in fact, I don't want to think, I don't need to think about myself any longer and focus on the needs of those around me. A gospel humbled person is someone who thinks about themselves less. And really, the first step of the gospel is uh, bowing the knee of our heart and saying, uh, Lord, uh, I've stuffed up. I need you. And as we get gripped by the wonder that we are loved and saved by the gospel, our focus changes, doesn't it? Those of you that have uh, been Christians for a while will realize that our focus uh, moves from ourselves, it moves to praise 
for our gracious God to save sinners like us. And it moves to caring for those and loving those around us uh, who do not know Jesus. A gospel-humbled person has the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Well, that's what James has challenged those who were in control, who thought they were in control, uh, to be people who are now humble and submitting themselves to God. But he has one final word for us in chapter 5, in that, those few verses, the first six verses there. He says, now listen, you rich, uh, you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver have corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. And he goes on giving these extreme and harsh words. And, and really, there's this, this prophetic lament for those who are wealthy. It's not sure, we're not sure exactly who he's speaking to. It's unlikely that they're the people in the, in the church that James is writing to. But it's, it's likely to be those that the, the poor in James's church aspire to be like. And he's saying, get things right, guys. Not only does your, your life vanish in a flash, but the wealth itself, it corrodes and it gets corrupted. And there is a, an ultimate judgment to come. And he speaks harshly to them who have downtrodden those who are under them and mistreated uh, those who uh, are poor. This is a message of both warning for those who put their confidence in wealth and a message of hope for those who have been downtrodden because it says that, that God will bring a judgment here. Now, I think it can be a warning for us as well. See, intellectually, we know that, that wealth doesn't bring real security. Material possessions don't bring real security. We, we know that. But again, like these early Christians, we can gravitate to think, oh, if only I had a little bit more, then my life would be secure. But James keeps reminding us, it's going to corrode, it's going to fade, it's going to vanish. Where is your hope? Where is my hope? Where is my confidence? For he reminds us that, in again, again our confidence needs to be in the things of God, not of this world. So easy to then move to being people who are, are proud and full of judgment of others when our confidence is in worldly possessions. And I think that's part of the warning here, isn't it? Where James is saying, well, it's the rich, the rich who they, they start to be puffed up. Um, when you've got material wealth, then you can see who's below you. Um, but when you're looking at those below you, you don't look upward to the Lord. So uh, it's better to sometimes be poor. He said that earlier on in James, that it's the poor who are rich in faith because they know they need a saviour. But it's a warning to you and I, do we put our confidence in wealth? And if we do, it can so easily lead to pride. And we need to guard ourselves from that. James's warning here to the rich is also a comfort to those in James's church who are likely to be downtrodden. There will be ultimate justice. And some of you might feel like that's, that's the situation you're in, where you have been unjustly treated. And what a wonderful hope this is, isn't it? That there is a saviour who will come back and he will judge and ultimately bring fair judgment. Well, we've been challenged here to not be like the autonomous 
uh, arrogant, proud rich who just say, I'm in control and I'm going to do it my way. We've been challenged to be people who uh, have hearts full of humility. But how is it that we do that? How do we grow in humility? Now, how do we be self-forgetful? I could just tell you this is the definition of humility. Uh, be self-forgetful, focus on others, focus on God. Uh, don't think about yourself as much. And that would just be quite a legalistic sermon, wouldn't it? Just, just go and do it. In fact, James is a little bit legalistic and he's, he's quite firm. Have a look at verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, uh, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. So I've told you the good this morning. Be humble, don't be proud. And if you go out those doors this morning and you do it, you're a sinner. That's what James is saying. If you've forgotten what you've heard this morning, that's well, a warning. But friends, I don't think we're to be left with just a legalistic command. See, what is really the cure for pride? What's really the means in which we can have hearts of stone that have turned into hearts of flesh? Well, the only cure is the gospel of Jesus. The only cure is the gospel of Jesus. And friends, we need to be people who saturate our hearts in the gospel of Jesus. See, that's really on view here. Ultimately, uh, these proud people, they, uh, in their pride, they brought about the, the crucifixion of Jesus. But in this humility is the model of Christ who considered others before himself. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we'll come on the screen here, we have this wonderful model of humility in Christ. Uh, and we're told to uh, not look to our own interests, verse 4, but look to the interests of others. Uh, in our relationships with one another, have the same attitude of Christ. Now, what was that attitude? Well, in very nature, God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage. Rather, what did he do? He made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is to be our attitude. And if we have the gospel of Jesus, this work of Christ, forefront in our minds, uh, then it will enable us uh, to be people of great humility. Our default is that of pride and self-elevation but friends if we with the spirit's help have the gospel of jesus saturating our lives and soaking our hearts in the gospel we'll be people of true gospel humility what is it that you saturate your minds and your lives with that's a real question See, whether it's, it's social media or binge-watching Netflix or, or whatever you uh, indulge your time in, that will impact your heart and the way you live. Whatever is coming in will impact who you are in the inside and it will impact then your actions on the outside. So my challenge for you this morning, as, you're, uh, called, as we are called to be people of humility, is to go out and be people who intentionally soak ourselves in the wonder of the gospel of Jesus. For we are all sinners who need a saviour desperately. And we do that by preaching the gospel to ourselves daily, weekly, yearly, all the time having the 
wonder of the grace of Jesus at the forefront of our lives? Do you listen to music that reminds you of the gospel? Do you uh, hang around people and uh, in Bible studies that are going to keep reminding you that we are saved by grace? Uh, do you watch things on your device or your television that keep rem reminding you the wonder of our Saviour Jesus? Or is there other things that you just keep filling your mind and saturating your heart with? Ultimately, uh, we come face to face with the wonder of the gospel in this glorious book, the Bible. And if you were com to compare the amount of time you spent in the Bible as to doing other things, I wonder how much of the gospel is soaking into your hearts. Friends, our, our challenge this morning is to be people of gospel humility. And we do that by His Spirit, by humbly bowing the knee of our hearts and by saturating ourselves in the wonder of the gospel. That's my prayer for you. And as we go forward, uh, that's this, I pray that this will impact the way St. Nicholas's uh, behaves and we as individuals uh, interact with the world around us. So let me pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we don't want to be people who look at ourselves in the mirror and then forget what we look like. Or hear a message this morning and then as we walk out the doors, don't put it into practice. Lord, we understand that that behaviour doesn't honour you. But Lord, we thank you for the challenge this morning from James that we're not to be people who just determine our own destiny and proud, have proud hearts that say that we don't need you. But Lord, we say we do need you. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would indeed humble us we ask your forgiveness and repent for our pride. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the freedom of self-forgetfulness, that we, may, we might soak our hearts in the gospel so that we can fix our eyes not on ourselves, but on our glorious Saviour Jesus. We thank you for him, and may he be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.